Hi, I'm Sammy Shulman. I'm Josh Siegel. I'm Yoni Pruce. And I'm Aaron Kirkpatrick. And welcome back to The Floater. Today is Friday, which means it is the next segment of our all-time top 10 lists. And we did point guards last, so that makes today shooting guards. Yeah. Yeah. So, Josh, you got a lot of honorable mentions Yeah. Yeah, I, I have I was a lot. Assuming you would, so, so I, I thought... would say this is a very deep position, and I would say out of any position, I relied on stats the least for this. Where just because pretty much all of these guys were number one, just if you're a shooting guard and you're on this list, you're going to be a number one option on a contender. I uh, looked a lot into like team performance and how much they got done. Um, but so my honorable mentions in no particular order are Joe Dumars, Pete Maravich, Bill Sharman, Hal Greer, Reggie Miller, George Gervin, and then as much as I love him and as much as it pains me to keep him off the list, Clay Thompson. Really? George That's... Gervin was a honorable Yeah, I've been, I've been very high. Yeah, no, I do not. I, do, you want, do, could you want the case against George Gervin now or later when you guys come up with him? I don't Say ever him. want it. I don't really want a case against him, but if you would like to give it, all right. So essentially, George Gervin was A, not a um, good defender, and B, like I said, with this type of player, I sort of care about the winning mentality. And George Gervin was a guy who put up a lot of numbers, but only cared about that. He like didn't care about winning and was 0-4 in the Eastern Conference Finals and his best chance in 1979 his team blew a 3-1 lead and he scored zero points in the last few minutes of game seven. And he was sort of known as a lazy guy who would show up late to practice. And he would say that he cared more about stats than winning. Um, and for a position, which is so full of guys who were like best players on championship teams, as good as his stats are, I just couldn't take a guy who was had a, who at the time that he played, his reputation was for being a lazy guy who didn't care about winning. In fact, his contract, in order to try to get him to care about winning, the Spurs would put bonuses um, for for how many wins the teams had. And there's one famous story where one year his bonus maxed out at 56, and they won on opening night. And one of his teammates said, one down, 81 to go. And he said, no, one down, 55 to go. And when you have that type of mentality, it was just hard for me to put him on the list compared to the other guys here. So Allen Iverson's down on your list? He is He is on my list. He's low on my list. Really? Yeah. I, I just don't agree with you at all there. Yeah. Just because shooting guard is probably the one position where I don't feel that matters as much, first of all. Um, second of all, just like – George Irvin's a 12-time All-Star, nine-time All, I I mean All BA because it's seven-time All NBA, two-time All ABA, um, four-time scoring champ. Like he's just he's the ice. Like he he was very clutch. I mean, I, I think he's. You'll see where I put him. I think he's much better. And than Josh, here. you love PER, and he had a 21.4 PER. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, like even his advanced numbers, he has 117 win share. Right. I mean, like I said, I relied on numbers the least for this. Because I looked a lot at team performance, performance in the clutch, and sort of, it's not really a stat, but sort of, like, sort of the winning intangible, I guess, if that's a word for it. Like, the idea that you can be the best guy and your team can win around you. And George Gervin didn't make his players better, his teammates better. He didn't particularly care about winning, and he never really won anything. God. Do you mean like he didn't have like an alpha mentality? Is that what kind of what you're saying? Well, he ha- he didn't have an alpha mentality for, for his team. He had the alpha mentality for, I'm going to get my numbers and get my money, and I'm going to stop it there. He didn't have the alpha money to say, I'm going to put my team on my back, and we're going to win. Because but the bottom line is like some of, that's, that's just how some of the best players in NBA history went about their business. And I don't. I'm not going to rank them, you know, in the top five all time by any means. But at the same time, like I'm not going to have Wilt Chamberlain low on a list, or Allen Iverson, or George, or George Irvin, or even somebody like James Harden at, in a current day list. I mean, 
the reality of the situation is most players, even most all NBA players, don't win titles. That's just how it goes because there's one team that wins out of now but 30. At I a mean, position where you have so many guys who have done that, I would say there yeah, are. Yeah, but Sam Jones, who you already said, is going to be higher on your list. He, he was never the best player on his well, team. Well, I'll explain my Sam Jones thing. He was the best wait, player wait, in Josh. Game 7. But I will get to Sam Jones when I get to him. Yeah, that's um, what I was going to say. But I would say, so I would say of sort of this greater list, there are four elite point guards who haven't won championships as best players. Wait, do you uh, mean shooting of, guards? And not shooting guards. Okay. I would say James Harden, Allen Iverson, and T-Mac and Gervin. And I have the first three on my list, and Gervin was the last out of that group. Is Reggie Miller not on your list? No. I don't. Wow. Okay. I mean, I don't no. This is Reggie. Mi- no. Reggie Miller. Reggie Miller at no point. Reggie Miller never even made second team. Reggie at Miller no point. Good. No. Reggie Miller is so overrated as a clutch player. In Game Seven of '94, he shot two for ten. In Game Seven of the '95 Eastern Conference Finals, he had twelve points, and they lost by twenty-four. In Game 7 of the 98 Eastern Conference Finals, he had zero points in the fourth quarter. So he, he consistently was, brought his team to the Conference Finals. He yeah. was 0-3 in Game 7s in, in I mean, the Eastern Conference he, Finals. He also put up the greatest test to Michael Jordan. Like, they said that in the last dance, that those Pacers were the greatest test that they ever had. But he fell apart down the stretch. Like, I'm at like, the end of the day, at the, the end of the day, in Reggie Miller's prime, he averaged a 21-3-3 with C plus defense. And like I said, he never even made a second team all NBA. All right, let's move on. He was never considered one of the ten best players in the game. Okay. Does anyone else have any honorable mentions? I do. Yeah. What are yours? I have four honorable mentions in also in no order. Um Sidney Moncrief, Manu Ginobili, Sam Jones, and Joe Dumars. Oh, I forgot Sidney Moncrief for my honorable mentions. I would put yeah. him there. Yeah, um, I I had four as well. I had Sidney Moncrief. Pete Maravich, Sam Jones, and Trace McGrady. I had uh, three. I had uh, Sidney Moncrief, Clay Thompson, and Reggie. But it, had I put Reggie on my list, he probably would have switched out with my number 10. It was like a toss-up at the end. And I went with uh, the fact that the player who I have at 10 had championships. All right. Is it Manu? Yeah. I, I, I'm I'm kind of a little in the camp that Manu's a little bit overrated. Right. I wouldn't put Manu over Reggie Miller. I think Manu's He's the third best player. Right. He's the third best player on championship teams, whereas Reggie Miller's the best guy on teams that couldn't get over the hump. Like, I don't know. That's yeah. I, like, yeah, I, I value I, rings. Yes. But I also value being the bit like I, that's why James Harden is going to be higher on my list than Reggie Miller. Like, I mean, it's just at a certain point And like even George Gervin. It, you might not get rings, or even Allen Iverson. Just once again, like not everybody gets rings, because it it's not always well, their fault. I mean, I think I think the thing with Manu is every single guy. Like I didn't have even Manu in my honorable mentions yeah, because whether or not they have a championship, every single guy that I had either in my top ten or honorable mentions is a Hall of Famer, regardless of where they played. Whereas Manu was put in the perfect situation where he never really needed to really thrive. Um, and I don't know he's a Hall of Famer in any other circumstance. I mean, I, I don't have honor, I don't have Manu in my top 10 or my honorable mentions, but he'd probably be right outside of my honorable mentions. But, like, I feel like it's a little harsh to Manu to say that he wouldn't be a Hall of Famer in any other situation. He was an amazing basketball player, but, like, I think the main thing for me is that he was mostly, like, a sixth man down the road at the end of his career, whereas other players were still thriving or be putting up good numbers for in the starting lineup for, like, championship teams. That makes that's, sense, yeah. That's the difference that I had for Manu. But, like, I mean, to say that Manu would be a Hall, Hall of Famer in any situation... Well, much. I mean, he has he has two All-Star appearances. He's, a Hall, he's the right. classic great put- role player on a dynasty Hall of Famer, and there's a place in that in the Hall of Fame for, the, for, like, for the great number three guy, right? right. For guys like... Dennis Rodman or Casey Jones Wait, or Tom Heinsohn. Can I make one argument? Yeah. Uh, you just said that what you value a lot is winning, t- like winning mentality and like that sort of tangible thing. But Manu has that. Like right. Manu, Manu has that. That's why I think that he would be higher. And it's so, like you're kind of contradicting. I agree with that. I agree You value the winning, winning mentality for some players, but then you just said that Manu 
isn't in your title mentions when you also really value winning mentality. It's the same thing with Allen Iverson, who you're going to have I, way higher than George Gervin. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Well, I I value winning mentality for a guy who also had an alpha dog winning mentality, and Manu did not. I mean, have Manu that. did. Like, he just wasn't the number one player because he had Tim Duncan and two right. I like and listen. Manu is a Hall of Famer. All the props to Manu in the world. I'm not anti-Manu. I just think he's sort of a tier below everyone else on this list. I'm not, I mean, I'm not disagreeing that he's a tier below. I'm just disagreeing with the way that you're valuing him. Like, All right, that's fair. All right, that's yeah. fair. That's all I got. All right, we yeah. should move into our top 10. Yeah. Anyone who wants to start it off? I would like to start it off because my number 10 guy is probably my favorite player of all time. Mm. Or one of them. Probably my my favorite non wizard, you know, non um, you know, on a championship team kind of thing. I, it's Tracy McGrady. Mm, yeah, yeah, I, I have mean, him there too. So here's the thing about Tracy McGrady. He, Kobe has said that Tracy McGrady is the best scorer he's ever run up against, and that in itself speaks, you know, leaps and bounds about McGrady. But the bottom line is for you know a five year stretch until his first major injury. Um, on either the Magic or the Rockets, which came in 0506. He went on, you know, a five year stretch where he averaged 27, 7, and um, 5, also 1.5 steals and a block a game. Yeah. He's really, it, by any means, the, the tallest shooting guard ever, which should have been such an advantage for him, but instead it led to injuries. And I do honestly feel that he could have been the best player on a championship team. And I'm, it's like one of the biggest what ifs to me if Tracy McGrady stayed healthy. Um, other than like stats themselves, I think that he was one of the more modern players from the early 2000s mm-hmm. and the early 2000s, as we talked about, especially after, you know, the Lakers three Pete. So the more, the mid two thousands was a huge lack mm-hmm. of talent, but McGrady shined anyways. And I just feel like his game would have translated great today. And I think that it's, once again, just a really big shame he got hurt. I mean, yeah, so I agree. I think he has he he has the best peak of anyone on the bottom half of my list. But I think the biggest thing with him is shortest prime, never got past the first round. But it's kind of unfortunate because he was never really put in the situation where he had a true number two who complimented his game. Um, because in Orlando, Grant Hill was hurt. And it just would have been so fun to see what the two of them could have done together. And then Yao just never translated to Tracy McGrady's game where Tracy McGrady just operated head best when you have people who space, who, yeah, who's spacing the floor to let him get to the hoop and let him pull up for jumpers. And Yao is sort of clogging the paint and slowing the tempo and demanding 10 to 12 post-ups a game. And I don't think it's a coincidence that in 2008 when Yao went out and got hurt, those Rockets teams went on a 22-game win streak. Yeah. Tracy McGrady has made it out of the first round, by the way, which is not a well, the best with, option. On yeah, with the Spurs as a bench warmer in 2013. Which is not as the best option, honestly. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Tracy McGrady was my number 11, so he didn't make my top 10. But I, I agree with both of you on that. I, I think Tracy McGrady, just like Josh said, had the shortest prime of these players. But then also... Like, but he also had an amazing but he prime. But he, he also had an amazing prime. And also, like Josh said, he had Grant Hill who was injured. And let's just say he had Grant Hill who wasn't injured. Just see how much better his prime would have been. They come out of the East at least yeah, once they, if the like two of they, them play together. I mean, the, their winning would have gone up, and also his stats probably would have gone up. His assists, his rebounds, all that stuff would have gone up. And like he at his prime, I don't know if this was his exact prime, but the two thousand two two thousand three season, he had thirty two. Six and a half, and then five and a half, and then two steals and a block. It's his best statistical season. Which is yeah. an amazing statistical season. So. I mean, and he's only twenty three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From 01 through like the East, the East from oh one to oh three might be the worst three year stretch for any conference. Where in oh one you have literally all you need is one guy. In oh one you have Allen Iverson and a bunch of dog shit making it. Then in oh two and oh three you have Jason Kidd and a bunch of dog shit making it. And if Grant Hill's healthy, the Magic are the only team with two guys. And I think there's a good chance at the very least in 03 they come out. If of Grant the East. Hill and McGrady stay healthy, that changes everything because then Dwight Howard never ends up on the Magic. Yeah. Yeah. You know? There's even there's even a chance they win the 03 championship because like the 03 Spurs were by far the weakest of any Spurs championship team. We're like that weak Nets team took them to six. And it's sort of a sneak sneakily by far Tim Duncan's greatest accomplishment. Because at that point, David Robinson was completely washed up. Um, 
and Tony Parker was a rookie. He wasn't, or like he wasn't close to fully developed yet. He didn't really have any number two, and he sort of put that team on his back. Like that was a very weak Spurs team, and I think the Magic could have beat them yeah. if both were healthy. All right, KP, who did you have at your ten spot? Ten was where I had Manu, and then um, just because we're on Trace McGrady, I had him at nine. Oh, okay. So you did higher than everyone else. Yeah. Even Sammy, the big Trace McGrady. Fan. Well, uh, his jersey's on the way. It's in the mail, in theory. It will take some time. It really will. Yeah. Um. All right, who who'd you guys have at number nine? Reggie. Number nine, I had Clyde Drexler. Oh, I had Reggie at my ten. I didn't Clyde start. Drexler at nine. Wait. Yeah. I'm I'm so confused with your list. Yeah, me too. It, me too. It, I, I would like to hear this case. All right. I mean, listen, for me, it's just this list is so – this position is so deep, and I had guys to put ahead of him. Like, it's not anything Clyde Drexler. It's just he couldn't get over the hump as the best player on a championship team. He sort what of – What makes James Harden better? He sort of, yeah. I mean, James Harden statistically is much better. He has an of MVP and Clyde doesn't. Mean. He has more first, like, he has more first team appearances. I mean, Clyde Drexler just sort of spent his career sort of on that second sort of tier because he could never really break into that sort of elite at the time, sort of MJ, Magic, Bird, Carl Malone list. I mean, he sort of spent his whole career as a consistent all-star second team type guy who couldn't win a championship as the best guy. And I have guys ahead of him who fit at the very least one of those two categories. I'm not anti-Clyde Drexler or anything. I just think there are guys who are better than him. I don't know. I'm a bit confused to that. Yeah, me too. I'm, exci- I'm excited to hear the rest of your list just to see where you want this. I mean, I'm surprised. I just okay. want to see where Sam Jones is. Like, I just want to see how far out he is. I mean, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, Bottom right. line is he wasn't even the best player on a team from the 60s, but yeah, okay. Um, yeah, so my number nine, I had George Gervin. We already kind of went over him, so I'm not going to go too much into him. Um, who'd you guys have at nine besides? Well, I had Reggie Miller, like I said. Yeah, KP? Uh, my nine was Team Mac. Oh, yeah, Team Mac, you went over that. Right. Yoni, you want to give us your eight through seven now? Yeah, I can go eight through seven. So I eight, I had Ray Allen, and then seven, I had Claude Drexler. Um, should I, give, I, I guess I'll give a quick argument for Ray Allen. I mean, he won two NBA championships. Yes, he had Paul Pierce and um, KG and Rondo and whatever. He also has 10 All-Stars, two, two All-NBAs. He's a leader all-time in three-pointers made. So before the NBA game was revolutionized by Steph, he was the best shooter of all time. His career stats are 19-4-4, four and four, 18.6 PER, and 146 win shares for his career. So, I mean, yeah. it's just – yeah. Amazing player, one of the best all-time shooters. I also had him there at eight, so I'm all on board with you for that. I had George Gervin at eight, and then Ray Allen at seven. Yeah, I had Ray Allen at eight, now that Iverson at seven. What? I don't know anymore. Uh, Oh, just so I can cover my seven, I also had George Gervin seven. So I I think Allen Iverson is... Kind of overrated. I mean, I've never been a big Iverson guy where his numbers are never great. I mean, where first off, just his game didn't really lend to winning, where it wasn't just that he had bad teammates, it's that you couldn't, it's that he was an undersized guy who shot the ball a lot, shot the bad percentage, and didn't make his teammates better. Um, The one time he made the championship, he got through a really weak East, made the finals, and was aided by the refs. Otherwise, he only got past the first round once for the rest of his career. For his playoff career in 71 games, he has 7.3 win shares, which is a fine number, but not great. And I really think if he played today, we would look at him in a different light just because the advanced numbers are not great. I mean, he was never in the top five in PER, and he only made the top 10 in win shares twice when he was 10th and he is 9th. And his 2001 MVP, at the very least, is dubious. I mean, he scored He scored 31 a game on 42% shooting in 44 minutes, where, or 40, 40 um, at two minutes, whereas Shaq that year put up a 29 and 13 with their per 36s being basically identical and Shaq having three more win shares and a six higher PER. 
And I think if we played in the era in an era where we were really able to look at efficiency and value it more, I think Allen Iverson would be less exalted. Can Wait, I quickly sorry, talk I about Allen Iverson, Aaron? Can yeah. I ask Josh one question first? Yeah. Okay. Doesn't Iverson have the winning mentality that you said you value like a more than stats in this? Well, but I never manifested itself. Yeah, and my point is I think the reason it didn't manifest itself was just from a stylistic play. Like I said, I really don't (laughs) think it was possible to win a championship with him as your best guy just because he was an undersized guard who took up so much of the offense but shot a bad percentage from the field and wasn't a dominant defender and didn't make the guys around him better. So I think he was a very unique talent and was an incredible player, but I don't think his skill set lended itself to winning a championship. Can I respond now? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So first of all, I want to talk about Allen Iverson's prime, which is as long as anybody on this list besides MJ and Kobe from 88 to 99 or 98 to 99 to uh, 0607. So eight years, he averaged 29, six, four, two and a half steals. And he shot 80% from the line. I mean, Allen Iverson, I think, would have been a little bit better in today's game. I still don't think he would have won anything, but I kind of disagree with how, you know, you're saying his game would have manifested itself today. I also think that despite Allen Iverson, which I agree completely, um, not manifesting himself in terms of the winning mentality, first of all, he still had it. And second of all, he never got help from a front office. Like, the Sixers in the early 2000s and even Denver weren't exactly incredible front offices that were giving him everything to work with. I mean, he dragged, despite what the situation was, he dragged the team to the finals, which is impressive. And it also, something that I think I like to look at is a player who's appreciated so much that when they're obviously not good anymore and like role players at best, they still make an all-star game. And at the tail end of his career, when he was averaging 14 points, and four assists, which is by no means all-star level. He was still making all-star games because he had that kind of respect. I mean, that that's the kind of thing that happens with, like, Dirk and Vince and not everybody. Like, I think that speaks a lot to what he meant to the game. And, I mean, he was also a very exciting player in an era that we've all agreed had a dearth of talent. I, I think you're underrating him a little bit here. Right. So that's why I agree. He's, in terms of the cultural culture of basketball, he's an extremely culturally significant figure and was sort of among the fan base and icon, which is why he's making those all-star games. But I think from a pure basketball point of view, if we're evaluating his game today, I think we recognize to a greater extent the lack of efficiency, where I just couldn't get past the fact that, like I said, he's never in the top five in PER, and the highest he ever was in win shares was nine. And I just think in an era where we really value not only your points, but your shooting percentages where for his career, he shot 42% from the field. Um, Like we talked about it. Like he's a shooting guard and he had to shoot a lot. I don't know. I, all I'm saying is I think you're underrating him a little. I mean, yeah, but I don't know if it's, he had to shoot a lot. In other words, I think it's the case where no matter what you surrounded him with, that was going to be the way he played his game. I think, I I think, I think in a way, if the best way to compare it is sort of, a better version of Russell Westbrook with the Thunder, where there were times when Russell Westbrook sort of he never shot a good percentage and there were times where he sort of dragged his team back because of his insistence on taking bad shots Um, and we saw it manifested itself at its best when he had to do that but we also saw there were times when he had to do that and they would hold his team back and he never really figured it out until this year and I sort of see the same type of thing with Allen Iverson where I think no matter what situation you put him in, that's still the way he would have played. I mean, We're, I mean, I'm I'm kind of on the Sammy side of this. I think you're underrating Allen Iverson a bit. I mean, I have me too. I have him a lot, not a lot higher, but I have him higher than seven. I mean, if we're just talking about winning mentality for a second, he, even though he made it to that finals through a weak East and he lost to the Lakers four to one, the Lakers were one of the best teams of all time. I mean, like Kobe and Shaq say, like not Kobe, but Shaq says that, and like Kobe thought that. And I mean, even in those finals, Allen Iverson put up great numbers where he put up 48, 33, 35, 35, and then 38. So it's like he was dragging his team into close games and he never 
the 76ers never lost a game by 15 or more. Like, it was always close in the end. It was like 6, then 9, then 5, then 14, then a 12-point game to lose the series. And, like, he, ne- he never won a championship, but he was always – he was very close that year. Right, so 2001 is his greatest accomplishment by far. But I think the point with Al- I'm trying to make with Allen Iverson is that sort of with the way I'm saying it lended itself, where even when he's putting up those scoring totals, he's never making any of his teammates around him better. Where, like, I mean, but if, it, obviously it's... it's not a fair comparison, but, like, even when you look with LeBron – like when you don't surround him with anything, he's putting up scoring numbers and still making those around him better. And I think that's the biggest thing with Al Nyerson. I mean, he finished his career with a 105 offensive rating, which is yep. nothing particularly special. And but for me, it's just a guy who didn't help out his teammates at all and was never efficient. I can't put him much higher. But you're also he's also dragging the team to the finals. Like if you're taking a shooting guard, he's going to shoot. He's going to get to get his shots up. And I'll, like. I but mean, he's he's shooting more than anyone else. Yeah, I mean, obviously, because he, he also he has one of the worst. He the only one. He on also has team. one of the worst rosters in the NBA. And if you're taking one of the worst rosters in the NBA to the finals, and it's I not mean, his. I mean, it's not one, one of the. the it's, it's not. It's not one of the worst rosters in the NBA. It's not a great right. team, but well, that's the way most teams were constructed back then. Like he did have Matumbo defensively helping him out and giving him a little bit offensively. I mean, he dragged a bad team to the finals in a bad East playing other bad teams. But Josh, teams. can I say something? And like, if yeah. we're being honest, that's kind of what you call LeBron's greatest accomplishment. Well, I, mean, I think... <laughs> well, I think that Cavs team was so much worse than that Sixers ah. team if you just look at the rest of their roster. I mean, he has he has not great guys, but if you just look at that roster... But, but I, all I'm saying is I think that it's... You're not appreciating what that accomplishment is because it, like... It's not because it, LeBron's better than AI, and AI's roster was maybe a little bit better, so it kind of almost cancels out in that way. If that makes any sense. Well, I no, mean, but even if you look at that roster, they still had four guys who scored over ten points a game, which is not great. Another guy who was close, and if you look at the team, it's full of guys who have, at the very least, experience playing on other teams. I mean, he has Matumbo, who's. Not a legitimate number two, but had I mean, four blocks a game. Didn't the Cavs or have players Ratliff. too? Like the Cavs? Like the yeah. Cavs, I mean, it's not close. This team, they had Jeff Tony Kukoc off the bench. Jeff Green had the one time where, like I said in the podcast before, LeBron Jedi mind tricked him into scoring 19 points. And then in the finals, he went back to the Jeff Green that we all know who doesn't know how I to do anything. It was, it's it's ridiculous that he did that. But he had – I didn't even notice looking at this. Defensively, he had Theo Ratliff at 3.7 blocks a game, and Matumbo had 2.5. Um, and if you just look at this roster, it's – you have guys like, you know, Tony Kukoc, who has a lot of experience as a solid guy. But these are it's, all guys that are fine, special. really. Right. Like, Tony Kukoc didn't play in the finals. It's uh, right. It's not a great team. It's a lot of guys. I don't know, who, Josh. At the very least, have been there and done that. I mean, there I mean, there are it's... only two other players that average more than ten points in the finals. In Eric and like and, and like I said, snow. it for the rest of his career. When at the very least, the East got a teeny bit stronger. When you add in the Pistons, he never got past the first round again. Yeah, and with LeBron's team, there was three, six seven basically eight players who were averaging at least 10 points a game. Like, well, I mean, at that point, scoring him. is inflated, but... Yeah. Josh, I think, can I just ask you something? Um, After yeah. all this discussion, do you still feel like you have Allen Iverson rated properly, yes or no? Okay, so then that yeah. is what it is, and we should move on, right? All right, yeah. Yeah, that's what I, I, I think... I'm not going to add more, but I think the main point that I have from retire is just because impact of the game and impact yeah right so that's that's, completely fair i acknowledge if we're ranking this on cultural significance to basketball he's probably in the top five i just think well i I think everything in a way and it seems that that's that's winning into account for some guys i'm just not agreeing that that's that sort of worked almost against me with him where i I wouldn't say i'm anti-iverson because i appreciate what i did for the game but I'm anti in the in this Iverson in the sense that I think he's overrated. All right, let's uh, let's move on. Where seven. were we? Six now? We were at that was seven. Six. So we're at six, six. And five or six. Yeah. 
So who did you guys have for six? So six is where I had Sam Jones, who I think is – you can make an argument that he's one of the five greatest clutch players of all time. I mean, his nickname was Mr. Clutch, and he played in 10 Game 7s in his career, and he was the main scoring option on those teams. He, in two games off the bench, he averaged 18.5, and then he had eight deciding Game 5s and 7s as a starter, and he averaged 30.1 in those games, and I just went through his game log, and it's kind of absurd. It's He has, so in 1962, at the time it was called the Eastern Division Finals, against Philly and Will, or not not Will yet, um, in Game 7, he has 27 points and hits the game winner with two seconds. In Game 6 of the 62 Finals, down 3-2, he scores 35. In Game 7 of the 63 Eastern Conference Finals, he outduels Oscar and scores 47. In Game 7 of the 65 NBA Finals, he has 37. Or of the Eastern Conference Finals, he has 37. In a deciding Game 5 of 66, again against Oscar, he has 34. Down 3-1 in Game 5 of 68 against Philly, he has 37. Down 2-1 in Game 4 of the 69 Finals, he has a buzzer beater. And something that also really stood out to me was... Bill Russell. Josh, can I say something who, quickly? Remember when you yeah. talked about Allen Iverson having seven win shares in 70 games and how that was a little yeah. bit of a slight? Yeah. One, 15 win shares in 150 games. Same right. same ratio. Same so, win shares for 48. So you can call him Mr. Yeah. Clutch. Well, he has that. And you, you, so putting him over Iverson because of his rings is a little misleading because the bottom line is he was a five time All Star, but only a two time All Star starter never made a first team all nba and so there's a reason there's a reason for the first team all nba i was going to get to that bill um so so i was getting i'm going to get to the bill russell point so bill russell said that sam jones was sort of always an enigma and you never knew what he was going to say except at the end of a close game or in the huddle every single person in the huddle would say, including Red Auerbach, would say, it's your time. And he would say, like, give me the ball. We're going to go win this game. And he said if he was going into a game seven, he would not rather – he would take Sam Jones over anyone he's played with or against. Of and this is a guy gonna, who's uh... played with Bob Cousy and John Havlicek and against Jerry West and Elgin Baylor and Oscar right. Robertson. So, so he's a and I think like – wait, right. So I think if you're talking about impact on the game – the Celtics are a team who won 11 championships, but they were never actually really a dominant team. I mean, just the fact that they were 10-0 and in Game 7s means they were taken to seven games 10 times, and they were close Game 7s. And this is a guy who repeatedly stepped up and took them over the hump. And if you take Sam Jones away from those Celtics teams, it's honestly conceivable just because of how many of those he wound up being a sink factor and the number uh, one scoring option in those games. You can't make they may only – Yeah, I'm really can. not – I'm not doing this at all. Josh, Josh, I've gotten here so far, but you can't make that argument that if Sam Jones isn't there, then maybe another player doesn't step up. You, like, I'm not going to let you argue that Sam Jones was the only reason that they got – All right, but he final. was the one who did step up. The point is That's not he's enough the one him... who consistently – when he – when they consistently – when you needed a guy to get them over the hump, he was the one who did that. And he did that. I, it's just the performances I listed came in one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Wait, one, two, three, four, five, six different championship teams. They were on the brink and needing a guy to step up. And that guy wound up being Sam Jones. There comes a point when that type of guy is so consistently the guy when you need him in clutch situations. And when you have Bill Russell, who once again played with Bob Cousy and John Havlicek and against Jerry West and Elgin Baylor and Oscar Robertson, who said if he could pick any Josh, guy to go into a Russell game seven, it would be Sam. Like, this is like the same thing about the well, 49ers picked, saying Brandon he, uh, Ayuk was the number no, one receiver. he like, picked I, Sammy, Sammy. He played with Bob Cousy and John Havlicek. Okay, so he picked him right? for he one specific Jones, situation. He picked yeah. Sam Jones over for one specific guys. situation. And that speaks look, but if we're talking about impact on the NBA, this is a guy I'm talking who about every six championship teams over the hump. Oh, All right. Gosh. That how many guys can really say they put six sorry, how many guys can say they put six championship teams anybody over who the was hump on offensively team, in deciding anybody games? who's on a team that won six championships, frankly. 
and and started. Like so, not a lot okay, of okay. So Robert Ory and how many teams? Are you really going to pair? No, that's not. That's not, that's not a fair no, comparison. But I'm at just all. saying he was considered the clutch guy at the end of game sevens, or not even game sevens, at the end of playoff games. And he, he this is not just at the end of I games. This is going into a game with a mentality that this is going to be. Of course, be you're going to have that mentality so when you're on the, the Celtics. Like the, the, that's, I, I don't know. But it's everyone on that team is ceding it to him. You have Bill Russell, Bob Cousy, John Havlicek, Red Arbach all saying to him, you will be the offensive guy in this game. But, but and when they... you get to the point of the um, All-NBAs, um, it's a little misleading in the sense that back then, All-NBA or MVP was selected by the players and yeah. All-NBA was selected by the media. And giving it to the media at the time was just a joke for two reasons. First, there just wasn't nearly enough availability to players so people wouldn't get to watch players and b it would basically just become a political campaign for media rallying for their own guys and that didn't happen in boston because those celtics teams were not popular in boston because boston had a bunch of racial issues and they were a team full of black guys um where it's just if you look at the greater landscape of boston it's a documented fact that the Bruins, who were in last place at the time, consistently sold out games. Yeah. And in the same building, the Celtics would be 70% full for game sevens. And that sort of lack of attention and lack of support for anyone is why um, Bill Russell only has three All-NBA first teams, but five MVPs. So Sam Jones never made the first team, but he finished in the top five in MVP building a couple of times. So there was a period where Sam Jones was considered one of the legitimately top players in the game. And when you may say that he's, if, if you're to just say that game seven is the most important game in basketball and he's the greatest game seven player of all time, like that means a lot. I just, I'm not going to be have my mind changed where I don't think that Allen Iverson is should be lower. Like than Sam, Sam Jones take. doesn't really belong in the top ten. Especially if the argument is that like he was so clutch and his job was to be clutch. Like it seems like the main argument for him is that he did well in Game Sevens. If that makes sense. The argument for him is that he put six championship teams over the hump. Like, uh, but no, the, okay. The argument that you've been making for the most of this time is his game seven performances, right? Yes, if you're a great game seven player, good for you. You like, if we were making a rankings list of top 10 best game sevens players, yes, Sam Jones could would be there, but we're not doing that. We're making a list of top 10 best shooting guards of all time, and that and... includes their non game seven games. And when you're in a team with Bill Russell and those other Hall of Famers and those top 10 players of all time. I'm not going to give Sam Jones a top especially 10 when ranking. the but point, my point of is ranking that shooting guys... guards or any position is to look at a body work as a whole. So I never even agreed with the whole. Oh, let's look at how good they won because you're looking at a body work as a whole. He didn't. He just doesn't have the same body work as any of these guys. And I weigh playoff performance bo- more, yes, and then maybe even game sevens more than that. But at the same time, he he just wasn't on the same level as any of these guys statistically. I, I just don't, I don't. But that body of work as a whole consistently continues that sort of intangible winnability factor that I talked about, where there comes a point where it's not only in game sevens, where there were other games on the list, where even like there was a game four when he had the buzzer beater, or down 3 1, he had 37, or down 3 2, he had 35, where when you have one of, right, when you have. I think, by any account, the greatest dynasty in professional sports history. And whenever that team is up against the brink, through an extended period of, to- period of time, on a team with Hall of Famers, all of those guys said, this is the guy that we're going to go behind offensively for this game. That is a consistent body of work that matters to me. Okay. I don't yeah, think you're going to convince not. any of us otherwise of what mm. of Sam Jones... So I think we should move on to well, who did everyone else have? Clyes. I think we. All right, yeah. Or we were at six, right? Not five. Yeah, yeah. Six. I had Clyde. All right, yeah. I had. I think I had. I had AI at six. 
At five, I had AI. Okay. Uh, that's where I had AI as well. Five is James Harden for me. Yeah, five, I had Harden. Uh, so, Sammy, Sammy you... in your top four, you're leaving out one guy who I'm going to be no, 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 no. You may that's have just true. forgot. I left out James Harden by accident, so it's not like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, okay, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. I would probably have him okay. somewhere okay. around six or seven. Oh. Don't, don't worry, don't right. worry. I was about to be very, yeah, I was about to be very confused. All right, all right. All right, but yeah, I have Harden at five. I think, Yoni, I think we might have the same top five. I had yeah, Harden yeah. four, but I could switch him uh, back with Iverson I mean, at five. Well, why do you, why well, do I think, think Aaron's having somebody miss. Yeah, Aaron is le- yeah. leaving somebody off. There is a high chance I'm leaving someone and off. I, th- I think that me, I Sammy, and Yoni, unless I misheard one of your lists, me, Sammy, and Yoni, I'm assuming are in agreement that there's a pretty unassailable yeah, it's, top it's, four. It's, it's, yeah. there, it just so happens that there's two I mean, players in the top obvious. four because of who number one is, but but yeah. there's... It, you don't I don't think that... Yeah. yeah. All right, do we want to well, go who did you guys four? have at five? James sure. Harden? I had, I'm trying yeah, to remember I who I even forgot. I, I, the yeah, guy I at Harden. four, I'm sure, is the one you forgot, so I'll just go ahead. Jerry West. Yeah. Yeah, I have weighed it for. I'm also not surprised at all that yeah. Josh has way to under West because that's just how his list has been going. He cares about old players. Yeah. I mean, I'm well, not it's only that. I think the biggest forgotten part about Jerry West's game, legacy game sevens. is that no, it's <laughs> that he's one of the greatest defensive players of all time and it's unfortunate that they didn't keep defensive stats as much back then where just when they started the all defensive team he immediately made it five straight years including four first teams and the first year they started tracking steals was in 1973-1974 which was the last year of his career when he was way past his prime and he only played in 31 games and in that year he still averaged 2.6 steals Um, so I think and he had a 95 defensive rating so I think if we, I, I would just be interested to see what the defensive numbers would look like if we had it during Jerry West Prime because guys who were there at the time said there was no one better they played against defensively. And Lenny Wilkins estimated that Jerry West may have averaged like six or seven steals a game. And I think the fact that when he was way past his prime, his defensive numbers were still absurd. It's for me, Josh, when they started being a thing, for me, it just goes back to the fact that he played in the 60s. And and I yeah. I really try not to and I the, the Celtics are the exception and I guess some Lakers fans championships to me probably mean the most out of anything in the '60s especially the late '60s to early '70s yeah. when stats just went crazy. I mean, yeah. like it's hard for me to say Jerry West is better than Dwayne Wade just because Dwayne Wade has a comparable body of work in a much more competitive era. Yeah, and if you're just looking at steals itself, it's not like Dwayne Wade is bad defensive six numbers. He's one of the better defensive shooting guards of all time. Mark, yeah, he had three all defensive, defensive teams, teams and also well. like for most of his years in the NBA, he had more than two steals a game, almost or more than a block a game. So for most years, he was averaging two and a half steals and a block a year. His 2008 so, I mean, 2009 season is ridiculous. So. Right, so the the, the his two thousand eight two thousand nine. I was actually going to get that when I, that when I talked about Wade, where I think I think since LeBron deserved the two thousand nine MVP and Wade didn't get shafted the way Kobe did in two thousand six, they aren't looked in the same way. But in terms of just the taking shitty teams to the playoffs pantheon with an absurd season, I think Dwayne Wade's oh nine season is up there with Kobe's oh six season. Um, and I think. So I'm actually going to push back on the point that it was a worse no, but it's, era it's per se Josh. because it's, it's I don't right. Think, yeah. So so there's less talent, but there's also much fewer teams. So the teams, so the team he's going up against is the most stacked team of all time, and his playoff numbers are yeah, absolutely they are. absurd. I agree. I mean, and like. There's a reason he's the only guy to win a Finals MVP in a year which they lost. I mean, there's a reason he's the low. And I mean, and like I'm not, I'm not yeah, denying that. I mean, I'm not and, taking anything away from Jerry yeah. West by putting Dwayne Wade over him. Yeah, I agree. I mean, yeah. Jerry West is at four for a reason. 
but also Dwayne Wade. Yeah. And Dwayne Wade and Jerry West are on the same plane for me. Yeah. Yeah. It, I don't think there's that big of a difference. You're more of a historical just, guy. That's honestly, think, that's a thing. Yeah. And I, I think, right. So I'm more of a historical guy. And I think the biggest thing for me is, is the defense with Jerry West, where I really think he might be the greatest guard defender. Right. And it's, it just goes back to the fact that he played in an era before that was kept, which also just goes to show about how that with, era, like, yeah. it was just different. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's hard, it's um, hard to compare players across eras, especially if yeah. you're playing in that specific era. No, I mean, all right. I think the hardest thing to do is that, especially, is that Jerry West's prime, and this will be a point in Dwayne Wade, is that Jerry West's prime came in the era with, like, the highest-paced era with the most shots where Dwayne Wade was the least. At the same time, Jerry West was consistently shooting from the outside. and Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's, it's not his fault. So, it's, that's, yeah. It's just is what it right. is. It's... And, and like I, I do, I take, I take, do take that into account for him. Um, but yeah, it's, it's. I don't think we're no, we're not. I don't think it's even a disagreement. We're just discussing really. yeah. the greatest shooting guards yeah. of all time. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think like it, this is not a knock on the right, and that's. Oh, I think that's I am, how you and I yeah. feel about you. Well. Yeah, yeah. I, understand. Yeah. I, I am very, 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 very. All right. So, I think Tom County. Wait, KP, who'd you have at four and three? Pretty. But uh, who did you have? Had I remembered, yeah. I had uh, four was okay. Harden, three was Dwayne Wade. Yeah. But I definitely agree I would have Wade over Jerry West. Um. Okay. And then I assume we're going to have the I same hope. top two if none of us have the same top two. So number two, Bradley Beal. That'd be unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. You know oh, players ridiculous Jordan. if you know um, their middle yeah. name. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And we I, I Bean and Jeffrey. Players middle names. Bean and what's Michael? Yeah. Yeah. Um would you agree that not in terms of he's the second best player of all time, but in terms of playing style, Kobe's the closest thing we've I mean, ever had to do well, yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean it's there, the mentality, yeah. first of all. Second of all, it's well, yeah. the fact that he kind of had two primes. I think we can all agree. Really, Kobe even had three different stages of his career that mm-hmm. I would call different primes. Oh, yeah. But yeah. in general, Michael Jordan might yeah. have had that. He had a baseball prime where he hit 187. Um, <laughs> well, no, I would say even yeah, Jordan. That's debatable. Like, pre, like you're saying yeah. before 1991. Right. I would say he has – yeah, I would say he has pre-championship where right. he's putting up yeah. his best numbers. Then he has uh-huh. where he's at his athletic yeah. best – and he's putting up. So those, I'm going to make a comparison. Titles quickly. And then he has, I'm going to say that yeah. MJ's last prime was like Kobe's first prime. MJ's first prime was Kobe's middle prime. And MJ's second prime was Kobe's third prime. And just to quickly explain that, yeah. what I'm saying is that Kobe's first prime was being like on championship teams. And it's not that MJ wasn't ever the first option, but it was like this was at Pippen and Rodman's, like when the three of them really had to do it together. Um, and like Kobe and Shaq did together, then uh-huh. Kobe's middle between his three peat and his two peat is when he had nobody and he averaged 36, which compares to Michael Jordan's 37 that he averaged before Scottie Pippen was drafted. And I think you guys get it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think they actually, if you look at it, follow very similar career paths. It's just at every point, Jordan was a little better and got to the next point. And he won a little more quicker, rings, and somehow Kobe was only a one-time MVP. Right. Yeah. Right. Where they both, they both come out of the league as uber athletic two guards with an okay jump shot. Jordan really develops the all-around scoring game a little bit quicker than Kobe does. Jordan sort of understands the ethos of basketball a little bit more than Kobe does, quicker than Kobe does, where it really took Kobe till 2008 to just understand that he couldn't do it by himself, where I think I have no evidence for this at all, but I think Kobe spent a period of time where he felt like if he had gone from 2000 to 2002 without Shaq, he wins maybe one or two titles. And I think there was a period where he really 
not only was it that he had no one else on his team, but he hated everyone else on his team, and he really wanted to sort of win a championship by himself. And he didn't come to a point where he realized where that was just not the case. And Jordan came to that point a little quicker, where even just like the ultimate moment, each of them, where they passed it off to their teammate for the game winner to help clinch a championship, when Jordan was double teamed and he passed it off to Steve Kerr, that was in his 12th year in the league. When Kobe passed it to our test for the game winning three, that was in his 14th year in the league. And you could even say Jordan figured out quicker where in 91 he was giving it to John Paxson in the fourth quarter of game five. So I think game five, they're mostly as seen in the last dance, a lot of Phil Jackson telling him that. Right. I I agree. And I think, right. And I think another point is they both played under Phil Jackson and Phil Jackson got to Jordan a little bit quicker than he got to Kobe. We're sort of mm-hmm. a forgotten, forgot or not forgetting, forgotten part about for the Phil Jackson Kobe relationship is that after 04, Phil Jackson retired for one year, and then he came back in 05. But during his retirement year, he wrote a book where he kind of ripped Kobe to shreds, where he called him selfish and said he didn't really understand what it meant to win. Um, and at that point, Kobe was in like year ten of his career, whereas the moment where Phil Jackson said pass it to Paxson. That was in, what was it, year seven for Jordan? So it's just at every little point, Jordan was just a little bit better and got there a little bit I just bit want to quickly talk about Kobe it. because I feel like we don't need to talk about Jordan as much because it's Jordan. Um, yeah. Something I love about Kobe is he is, in my opinion, one of the most underrated defenders of all time, first of all. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's I just Completely ridiculous agree. how good of a defender he was. The whole ball hog thing really is overdone i mean his assist numbers for shooting guard are above average i mean the bottom line is everything about kobe's game was beautiful and there's a reason why on basketball reference one of his nicknames is Zeno because he really did age as well as anybody ever i mean he just like josh talked about he transformed his game in the latter half of his career and lebron is going to break this record but as of now he is the record for consecutive all nba first teams i mean Actually, wait, LeBron didn't make it last year, so I'm not sure where that ends up. I don't know, but he is 11 straight. Um, maybe LeBron already has been that. I'm pretty okay, sure he's close, but it's like straight. that same kind of, you know, yeah. it's just Kobe was so good for such a long time. He was such a staple, and, like, I've probably mentioned this once or twice. Like, he's the reason I got into the NBA. Like, I wasn't necessarily a Lakers fan through and through, but my first In 2013, you were. No, I remember the – you going to a Wizards game with like Kobe and Howard what year? talking about it in Rob Levy's class. Oh, yeah, like 2012-2013. Talk- I-, I went to a Wizards game to see the Lakers. Yeah. Like, Kobe got me into the NBA. I- yeah. He did that for and, so I mean, many that people. Was, yeah, I wish people talked about that 2013 Lakers team more as, in terms of a Kobe accomplishment just because, I mean, that team sort of fell apart very quickly. Like Dwight Howard was like that was really beyond the top line that was not a good team i just have their roster pulled up where they have dwight howard who was sort of mentally destroyed but after that it's pal gasol who's past his prime metal world peace who is old steve nash who's 40 and then it's after those five it's steve blake earl clark a washed up antoine jameson jody meeks chris duhan jordan hill like, why that did, was a why bad was team. it such a sure thing that they were going to win the finals? I remember it. Because at that together. point, so, right, so the reason was sort of the same reason we were really excited about the Lakers coming into this year, where people forget that there was a five-year period where, like, Dwight Howard was legitimately one of the best five guys in basketball. Like, pulling up Dwight, I'm just pulling up Dwight Howard now, he made five straight All-NBA first teams, and that's not as a token center. That's as one of the legitimate five best guys in the game. And the year before, he had made a first team, and there was sort of a prevailing sense that when you have those two guys together, they'll figure it out. But that didn't happen. Dwight was sort of mentally checked out, and Kobe just goes on this absurd run where he's like, playing 48 minutes, 46 minutes every game. And, I mean, they went like 25 and 12 or something like that down the stretch. 
And right, he has the famous moment where he tears his Achilles and comes out to shoot the free throws. And it was just, I remember watching that. It was incredible. Like, I would stay up for Lakers games just because, like, I remember he had one game against the Raptors where they were down by, like, five with a minute left. And he hits three straight sort of patented Kobe, nowhere to raise the ball, but somehow rises up and shoots it over the defender, somehow making it threes to send that game into overtime. Like, I I really wish people talked about that year more. So the last game, this is just a quick Kobe story. Like, as Josh said, 2012-13 season, I was was a Lakers fan. And the last game that Kobe played before he tore his Achilles was probably the best game I've ever seen any basketball player play. And now let me explain. First of all, I'm talking about regular season. I'm I'm going to pull up the game log just to make sure I don't get this wrong. You're talking about Trailblazers yeah. game? So, yeah, I'm on it right so, now. Yeah. First of all, Kobe Bryant in this game, they're fighting for a playoff spot. Basically, they were at one point, you know, a nine seed. The Jazz were competitive and the Rockets were competitive. And they have a game against Portland, who also makes the playoffs that year. And or maybe not, actually, but either way, Kobe Bryant plays 48 minutes in this game, not 47 minutes and and 25 seconds, not 47 minutes and 52 seconds. He plays the full game and he carries the like I'm 47 points, eight rebounds, five assists, three steals, four blocks, one turnover. And I mean, it's it was just one of the most incredible games I'd ever watched. He. Like just his the game score for that game was forty three, which is ridiculous. I mean, that was just one of the best individual feats I'd ever seen, and I was still a very young, you know, fan. And so, yeah. And then the next game, I mean, he tears his Achilles. Just... If you're also talking right. about efficiency for that, right? Game, he was fourteen for twenty seven, which is above fifty percent. So if you're saying that Kobe isn't like an efficient shooter, where he just puts up shots, that was false for one of his best yeah, games. And he went eighteen for eighteen from the line. Exactly. So. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think in a way we almost shouldn't have been surprised that he yeah, he's been playing forty eight minutes because at that point he was yeah, exactly. right. At that point, he's what a 35, 36 year old guy on year yeah, but seventeen. Also think about the I think that he has in his body having like, to do that and playoffs every year. Right, he has all that mileage in him. He's been in the playoffs every year. He's played in six finals. I mean, he has a lot. He has a lot on those legs, and he's now being asked to do this. It makes sense. It was it, bound it, to happen. There's not a knock against Kobe, obviously. Yeah, I mean, and I think just with the point earlier, I think Game Seven, 2010, we talked about it on the Rewatchables podcast. It's almost sort of a microcosm of Kobe's career, where it's sort of the most disgustingly beautiful yeah. game ever played. We're like. Those first three quarters are sort of the microcosm of what we consider bad Kobe, where like he's trying to do it by himself and he's taking bad shots. And then in those fourth quarters, something just completely switches and he's do he understands that he's not having a good shooting night. And even at he just I watched a lot of Kobe and there were a lot of Kobe games where I watched where it be fr- would be frustrating. Because he would try to shoot himself out of slumps, which is not necessarily something you should do. Like what they say, the best way to get out of the slump is get a layup, attack the basket, go to the line. And that's exactly what Kobe did in that game to get his points, where he only had like one field goal in the fourth quarter, but he had like. Can I give a fun Kobe stat that I just researched? So we were talking about how much he played. Yeah. And I don't know like where he ranks in terms of minutes played, but just looking at him as an individual. He played 48,637 minutes. And so, not including Is that including or not including playoffs? And so, I plugged this in. Right. So, first of all, yes. Make sure you understand this is not including playoffs where he played what? Let's just quickly look. Playoff totals. Um, God knows how many. Playoff totals, minutes, another 8,000. So, make it 56,000. But just regular season. Mm -hmm. You know what? No. I'm just going to plug this in here. 56,000 minutes. He played 933 hours of basketball on an NBA court, which is 38.8 days, not to mention he's considered to have one of the best work ethics of all time, which means when he's not on the court in NBA action, he's on the court doing other work. And so that's just insane. There are stories about him getting to the court like five hours early. I mean, he broke players. Jay Williams. Yeah. Well, Jay Williams told an incredible story. Yeah. 
the day Kobe died, where he was like, one time I went to go work, I was playing the Lakers, and I was really excited to play Kobe, and I wanted to get some extra shots up. So he went to this, he went to the stadium and worked out and went. And when he got there, he saw that Kobe was already in the middle of a really intense workout and draining sweat. And Jay Williams goes to a really intense one hour workout. And then he leaves and he can see Kobe is sort of improvising and still working out. And then they meet them after the, he meets him after the game. And he says, why did you work out for that long before one regular season game? And Kobe said, I don't, I'm paraphrasing. He said something along the lines of, I didn't want you to know that you worked out there longer than me. And like, that's just absolutely incredible to have that mentality for even just you're playing a rookie guard in a random January game and you do all that work just so he doesn't have the satisfaction that he stayed out there. Can I give you. a few Kobe like, stories? That's that just absolutely loved. incredible. So in high school, he yeah. made his teammates play one-on-one games to a hundred and the worst game he ever had. He won 100 to 12. Byron Scott, who what was a Lakers head coach at one point and former yeah. player, um, yeah. once found an 18-year-old Kobe shooting in a dark gym two hours before practice, like with all the lights off. Which, like, I, I just don't even understand that. He once played left-handed because his right shoulder was injured. Oh, yeah, there are those videos of him playing, like, shooting with his left hand for... Yeah, I mean... He used to practice without a ball, like like he cared about the fundamentals as much as anybody. I I don't know. There's just like I'm reading this article. It's just so mm-hmm. many stories. He decided mm-hmm. to lose weight for the Olympics in 2012 so that he could keep his knees pain free, so he'd have a better chance going into the season we just talked about. Yeah. We also didn't talk about his Olympic success. I mean, if I could just say one. Yeah, you can make an argument that the gold medal game in 08. He used to watch film of himself at halftime. Yeah. Oh, you know what? You know what's here? Here are just a couple more of my favorite Kobe stories. So first, just talking about the 08 Olympic gold medal game. I mean, the Spanish team was good, and it seemed like for a period they were going to win. And that's sort of the moment where, for that two-year period, Kobe took the mantle as best guy in the league, because that was a stacked team, and all the guys sort of had deer in the headlight looks, and they were like, Kobe was like, "I'm the guy who's going to take over." And he wound up winning that game for them. Um, another one of my favorite Kobe stories is he, and I don't know, maybe Jordan's the only other guy who ever does this. He memorized the referee handbook so he knew where referees had to be standing on all situations. And what? he, so he knew when he could get away with maybe a little extra hand check. Or a little bit of an extra oh, forearm. Yeah. And where they couldn't see it. And I just find that incredible. And I think the one thing that Kobe did definitively have over Jordan is in terms of overall sort of just human IQ and intelligence and lending that to basketball, it was sort of off the charts where right after Kobe died, Bill Simmons did a podcast where he talked about how in like 2011 or 2012, um, he did an interview with Bill Russell about leadership and then wrote an article about the leadership and tangibles necessary to be the best guy on the basketball team and to be a leader. And at this point, Kobe's reached the career point in his career where he's not in FU mode anymore with the rest of his teammates. And It's Christmas Eve. Bill Simmons is about to go to a holiday party. And Kobe calls him up and says, I tracked down your number. I want to talk about your article. And they just have this 30 or 40 minute discussion about like human nature and the way to lead humans in any situation. And Bill, he's obviously late for the Christmas party and doesn't care. And like, Kobe is spending Christmas Eve searching the internet for articles on human leadership and then taking the initiative to call up the guy who wrote that article and have a 40-minute discussion with him. Like, there are just not many people in any field of work. Right. I mean, Aaron, I have a question for you. 
just this is just this is just like a, a yeah. question like for fun. What's more impressive, six NBA trophies or five mm-hmm. NBA trophies and an Oscar? Like, like I'm just saying. Uh, in all seriousness, I kind of. No, I like, think it definitely you could is. make an argument. For I mean, the I'm not. I'm not saying that Oscar. he's a better man than Jordan. But, I'm just saying the fact that three years. Yeah, but three years Oscar after he retires, he's won an Oscar. Like, like, what is that? The joking around, like joking around, like Leonardo DiCaprio. Let, let's just use DiCaprio had so many amazing performances before he ever got his first Oscar. Like, it's not easy to win an Oscar. Like, it is impressive five championships and an Oscar. Right. Like, I think that gets, messing around. that gets to the point where, like, Kobe's going to set his mind to anything he wants yeah. to do. Yeah. We're like, listen. Mamba mentality. This is a dark point of Kobe's career. I am not defending sexual assault in any way or form. But after he had the trial, his wife was considering leaving him, and mm-hmm. he taught himself how to play piano just because she knew that it was something she enjoyed, and he became a really good piano player. So, like, it's just stories like that where, like, obviously what he did was horrible, and there's no defense for it in any way or form. But then just that type of thing where even just a small thing he's going to put all the work in to like get his wife back I just find that to be sort of indicative of the type of mentality he had and I think just in terms of him as a person he really did learn from that and dedicated the rest of his that life the to day, making the world a better place it was place Vanessa Bryant's like, birthday and Kobe had already had yeah. a gift for her Yeah, I, I mean that. we could talk about yeah. Kobe for hours and maybe we should no, sometime I but I think we should end the podcast here, right? Yeah, I agree. All right. So, yeah. unless yeah. specifically yeah. Yoni or Aaron, who have been nice enough to listen to our stories, want anything to add? No, I mean, I knew most of the stories, but I enjoyed it. These were new stories for me, as I have mentioned in pods before. Like, it, it took me until basically high school to really get into sports in general. So, this is stuff I missed out on when I was younger. Like, seeing these games or hearing these stories so yeah this all is right nice for well me to hear about uh thank you guys for listening if you're still with us at this point make sure to check out the floater or check out floaterpod.com and also check out the floater pod on instagram um tons of content coming at you guys tomorrow is saturday and we have very special guests as we've you know laid out many times uh sunday we'll do you know fun nfl prediction stuff way too early predictions you could call them um, for the AFC. Yeah. Other than that, unless you guys have something to add, no, I'm good. Then uh, I will kindly nope. remind you yeah. to stay home, stay safe, and stay loyal.